again, our podcast is not to discourage you or to make you feel like you should be a victim. It's to call to your attention what barriers you need to break to be successful. And if this podcast sets you in a bad mood and sets you down a spiral that you're not going to try hard, that's on you. Because there are going to be people who hear this podcast who are going to call us this week and are going to say, what do I have to do to start investing? And they're going to come in and we're going to walk them through how to set up their financials. We're going to talk to them over the next three to five years. And in three to five years, they're going to be five times more wealthy than they were today. All right, guys, welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, I am here just with my co-host, my co-host Cade Barrett. Cade, welcome back, buddy. Dude, it is good to be back. I know um, we've had, what, at least a week, maybe two weeks, two weeks without recording a new pod. So it's really good to be back in the seat, behind the mics, and talking about something I was really excited about when you, you randomly when I came back into the office, you brought up like this statistic with me and you were like, dude, we should dig deeper on this on a podcast. And I think it epitomizes the perfect topic of what we're all about and everything we try to push to people about investing in assets and investing in real estate. So I'm excited to get into this, dude. Yeah. I mean, I want to preface this. I was talking with a few people who I respect and they brought up the concern that statistics are always deceiving hmm. and that statistics can be manipulated to pretty much tell any story you want. That being said, by coincidence, we're hearing the same story from a lot of other people that are experiencing right now a difficulty in just making it past paycheck to paycheck yeah. and finding how to buy their first home and how to get past like this first stage of life. And obviously our podcast has always been for the benefit of people getting started in their career. But this really applies to literally every American. And so it'll be interesting to talk a little bit about what we're going to call the silent killer. Mm -hmm. um, but that essentially is reality as we see it today. Yeah. And I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, or if there's another place you'd like to start with. The, the first thing I thought of when you brought this up to me was I've seen like these memes and these TikToks on TikTok, you know, about like boomers, boomers. Buying, buying their houses in like the 1930s with however much money, right? And, and just those funny memes on TikTok. And that's exactly what popped into my head when, you know, we brought this topic up about the silent killer and started to dive deeper into some of these statistics. And dude, when you were like having me trying to guess some of this stuff, I was completely caught off guard. Like my, my jaw was dropped. I had no idea how you know these things kind of relate so um yeah i think we jump right into it yeah let's jump into it i mean uh for those who are not as cultured as kate is uh i think the meme is about boomers buying their home for like two twenty thousand bucks and then yeah. <laughs> uh selling it for like two million dollars <laughs> and then telling millennials and gen z to pick themselves up by their bootstraps yeah. right so <laughs> We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. And the purpose of this conversation isn't to tell people, okay, we're going to complain about our situation. It's to explain why we're dealing with what we're dealing with and then to talk about solutions, right? So the stat that made this 
podcasts come together mm-hmm. was uh, very, very surprising, mm-hmm. depressing. A lot of <laughs> a lot of those terms. So, yeah. what happened was we were looking up what the worst year of the Great Depression was. Because right now, all we're hearing about is recession, yeah. uh, economic decline, things like that. And we were curious on how much the average person was making in the worst year of the Great Depression. And we have to preface that this statistic takes the average income mm-hmm. of the 75% of the workforce that was in employment at the time. We do not have anywhere near 25% unemployment in today's world. Jeez. Yeah. But we're going to talk based off the people who are working... Their average income, according to the IRS, and we'll have all the links for supporting documents in the, uh, yeah, uh, in our description. In our description, yeah. On page nine of the IRS uh, statements, it says that the average individual, that's that's important. The average individual income in 1933 was 42.18 and 40 cents, so 4,200 dollars. That is less than what any American right now could even live off of per month. Yeah. I'm <laughs> it's a ridiculously low number. Yeah. But the stat that concerned us was how much that money would be in 2023 numbers. Mm-hmm. So the importance here is inflation. That's going to be the most important thing that influences uh, monetary policy. But... According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, if you were making $4,200 in 1933, you would be making $98,000 in current income. If that does not tell you that the six-figure number is too low and is no longer what it used to be, I don't know what else would tell you. That's literally the first thought that popped into my head, right? Because, you know, especially growing up, in you know more more traditional households where you're not surrounded by you know a lot of entrepreneurial mindsets is at least for me growing up was dude that the figure the milestone for me to hit is a hundred thousand dollars like if i can get to a place where i'm making a hundred thousand dollars where i'm making six figures a year that's it dude i'm balling that's six exactly figures it. i've made it dude but we look at this and obviously we now know that just making six figures alone is not going to do anything ri- really for you at all. I mean, that's the hard truth, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the unfortunate thing to state that every six-figure earner that I know who's making close to $100,000, their life expenses are eating up that entire income, and they too are not saving any money. Yeah. And I think when I grew up, the idea of making six figures was that you could live off 40% of your income and then save and invest the other 60% minus taxes. So let's call it 40%. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have 40% of your income every year going towards your retirement. And that's what got you to that, hey, I can retire at 65 and live a pretty good life. Not opulent, but you know, not paycheck to paycheck, yeah. right? And now looking at it as people who have both done it, and who have looked in the mirror and said, this is not what I thought I would feel like when I got here. Mm-hmm. It it starts to click that, dude, like we just are making the same amount that people were making 
a hundred years ago. In the worst ago. recession in modern history. Yeah, in, in, in the U.S. history, I think the 1930s was, outside of 2008 maybe, the worst recession that we've had. Yeah. And in the worst year of the worst recession that we've had, they were making more than teachers, nurses, firemen, police officers, uh, pretty much any kind of employment outside of high-level executives, business, uh, business owners, yeah. and doctors and attorneys, right? Maybe engineers too. So unless you had a lot amount of, like a huge amount of schooling, a very niche down skill set, you're really not making much more than what the average person was making during the 1930s. Well, in the issue that I also thought of too, right? And you made a great point. Like for somebody, you know, who's making that close to six figures, you know, and and that in an ideal scenario, right? Use those 40% numbers, right? Like you're living off of 40%, which one we know is damn near, I, I'll use the word impossible. I, I don't know, at, at least impossible for 99% of the people who are making that amount. It. Yeah, I you'd have to be living in, you know, the worst part of Fresno where, you know, your rent is so, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the scenario, like this perfect storm where that scenario could exist, it it's it, it can't really exist, right? But then using that other 40% to save and invest, well, right now, like you said, for the majority of people who are making around that six-figure mark, I mean, you're you are living paycheck to paycheck especially with how how inflation has affected the cost of living now combined with dude who the hell knows what's going to happen with social security which is what almost everybody banks on right because it comes out of all of our w-2 paychecks right we're paying into it so our our expectations are hey when i'm around at retirement age i'm going to be set because I'm paying into Social Security. Social Security is going to be you know, a stream of uh, income for me and take care of me. Well, we now know that there's a tipping point where Social Security is going to take a shit. So yeah, and not where even, does that leave us? Not even to get political, <laughs> but if you're banking on government help when you retire, if you are currently under the age of 30, you're making a terrible error because yeah. we're already tipping over Oh, and yeah. we're not even close to retirement age. No. And so if you're banking that this money that's getting pulled out of your paycheck is going to be there for you when you retire, I don't think that that's a very smart financial move. And you and I have always been huge proponents of really, really good personal fiscal responsibility. And we'll talk about that in our solutions portion of the podcast. But my opinion is inflation is going to eat away any benefits that that has. And I don't know if you saw the news article, but as of this year, um, it, the last report that came out, the new highest line item for the federal government is now debt payoff. We're paying more, I think it's a trillion dollars now a year just to service our debt, which mm-hmm. is more than the defense budget, social security, or anything else. And so with the way that our our entire national economy is going, <laughs> banking on the government being there for you is a pretty terrible idea. So at this Absolutely. point- if you're making less than $98,000 individually, or let's be honest, in a lot of Fresno, less than 98000 with two incomes, yeah, yeah, you need to be paying attention to this podcast and, and taking this advice and knowing that Kate and I 
are following what we're saying here. And it's going to be the reason why you and I have any chance. And we're not even, there's no guarantee we retire, but have any chance at having any semblance of retirement. Of retirement as we know and expect it to be. Right. The golden dream was like (laughs) you work, you put in your 40 years of hard work from 20 to 60. And then you have like a couple years where you go part-time maybe. And then at 65, boom, you're out, you're on a boat, you're traveling, you're golfing, to, seven you're doing days whatever a week. you want. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to experience that. <laughs> and and I want to also say, nobody ever said life was going to be fair. There There is always a, a feeling that we are owed something. And that's not true. And our generation is not going to deal with some of the things that the 1930s generation had to deal with. Yeah. We have an abundance of opportunity to make a lot more money. Mm-hmm. We will never have to go to war, at least as it used to be. If you look at the deaths from Iraq versus the deaths in World War II, those are completely different numbers. And with the development of, you know, drones Just and things like that. weapons, stuff. It, yeah, completely war is different changing. landscape. Yeah. So we don't have some of the same difficulties that previous generations had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's a blessing. Yeah. But unfortunately, making ends meet will be a battle that we have. Right. Yeah. And I don't think that this is going to get resolved in the next 40 or 50 years based yeah. on what I'm seeing. Do yeah. you? No, 100%. And I think this this presents an interesting dilemma, right? Especially for the people who are listening or watching who are and the the general population out there who are in their normal jobs or they may even be in, you know, real estate or an entre- entrepreneurial space, right? Trying to, you know, get that cash flow coming in. It presents an interesting dilemma, and I think it all comes down to if someone's sitting on the other end going, well, I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. I can't afford to, you know, if it's going back to school to increase my skills to go get a higher paying job. I have, I'm raising kit, like that's out of the picture, right? Like what what, what you're saying is I, I can't do anything, right? But I think one of the biggest solutions and it and it all comes down to this and i know 100% of people can be better at it is living below your means that is that is the start to the solution yeah i and for the people who are saying there's no place to start there's no way i can feasibly start investing or saving uh, like i said 100% of people can be better at living below their means I know for damn sure myself and ourselves included, right? And dude, I it's finding that one place to start because something has to happen. People have to have a solution. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself here, you know, 40 years from now, 50 years from now in a in, in a really really bad spot. And you're not going to have the same energy or abilities that you have now. I mean, you look at a 60-year-old right now trying to compete with a 25-year-old in the market of of technology. It's Mm. not the same. Yeah. And so if you leave yourself with no runway, you're you're setting yourself up for failure, right? And so the the part that I want to say here, and I think you're right, if, if you're already saying, well, I have no way of getting there, you're in a victim mindset that needs to be completely dropped. Because at the end of the day, you need to take responsibility for your situation. We've had to take responsibility from for some really stupid decisions that you and I have made. Yeah. But the first step is reining in your spending. It's one of the main controls that you have on your life. 
And in a consumer market where we're constantly encouraged to spend, 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 mm. you know, the development of the shopping carts so that you could buy more stuff at the grocery store turns into the, the shopping cart online so that you can't just buy one thing at a time and then have to go through the whole process to buy another thing. Companies have gotten very, very good at making it easy to spend money on things that you don't need. And so the first thing that you need to do is track your spending. And the way that you and I have both done it has been through a free program, uh, Personal Capital, mm -hmm. now in power. And we've been doing it for a few years. And, and frankly, you and I have both saved a stupid amount of money just by seeing what we're spending on and having the conscious understanding of where is my money going? Because if it's not tracked, it's lost. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'll even share that Kayla and I were just going through and we completely restructured our budget. And even with our income and even with us being already fairly good at staying within our means, we were living at our means and that's just not acceptable. And so for us, we had to set specific boundaries, especially for me. I had to give myself an allowance that I cannot go over because every single month I was spending money on stuff I didn't need. I was buying stupid gear for activities. Like I was telling you about the fins mm -hmm. for swimming that was in January and I didn't use them frequently until in the last few months. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's paying attention to where your money's going and realizing that every dollar that you spend on a stupid product that may give you some momentary joy is money that you're taking away from giving yourself the opportunity to have any resemblance of retirement. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway is, is what you said. If it's not being tracked, it's being lost, right? I mean, at even within our circle and our network, I, I don't know of anybody who tracks and is on top of their finances as, as diligently as we try to be. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is step one a right. Uh, you know, to the getting to the goal of trying to live below your means is tracking where, <laughs> where your money's going. Dude. Yeah. And I want to preface in no way are we saying, okay, you have to live on 40% and you need to save. living below your means means you need to save 40% of your income to reinvest. Like you, I, like I said, it's damn near impossible to do that, right? But it's making these small adjustments and in the, these small changes that hopefully has that snowball effect, yeah. right? On your finances and your ability to go and invest your money in assets like real estate or, you know, if you, there's plenty of other avenues for investments, right? right? Stocks, right. this, this, that, and the other, but investing it somewhere because also... We talk about saving, right? But I think the most, the important distinction is not only saving, but taking the savings and investing because your money's not going to do shit in the bank either. Yeah. And you can't bank on you saving your entire life and, and your bank balance is growing, growing, growing. What is that growing at? Well, I mean, 1%. It's growing at dog shit, dude. So you can't also bank on your ability to save. It has to be invested. Right. And I think. Again, you're right. It's not it's not currently feasible if you're making 60,000 a year to save 40% of your income, but start at 5%. If you can spend 4 months at 5% savings, you're going to have way more money in your bank account by the end of those few months than you had before. And that little bit of encouragement is going to encourage you to maybe try to save 10% of your income. And and when you have that bump in your pay, you're going to think through it a little more and say, you know, I got a bonus 
do I need to spend it on going to Vegas? And I'm using examples from my own life. But like, am I yes. going to use that money to go to Vegas? <laughs> or no. can I put that away in my savings yeah. so that I have a healthy savings for if I lose my job or I have an issue pop up? Mm-hmm. Or can I put that towards something that's going to help my money grow? Because at our current rate, your income is not going to beat inflation, especially not what we've seen. You're not going to beat stagflation. You're not going to outpace most any market unless you're actively making intelligent decisions to put your money to work for you, right? And that doesn't have to be real estate. It doesn't have to be stocks and bonds. It could be a side hustle. And I think you and I have always promoted that if you're working a job like a teacher and you have three months off, in those three months that you have in summer or those weeks that you have off during the school year, having a job that pulls in an extra 10, 15, $20,000 will be life-changing for you. And you're still getting your paycheck through the summer is my mm-hmm. understanding. Mm-hmm. So living within your means throughout the year, knowing that you're going to have a boost in income in those three years or those three months in the summer, that's a really easy way for a teacher to start making extra money if they don't want to go down real estate or or stocks and bonds or crypto or whatever else. Yeah, that's the exact point I wanted to make because I, you know, let's talk through another hypothetical. We've got somebody on the other end, you know, saying, Dude, I, I'm already living below my means and I'm still doing paycheck to paycheck, right? I'm doing what you guys just talked about and there's still no way, you know, for me to save, right? Oh, sure. Uh, we've already debunked it, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt in this hypothetical, right? You're doing everything right. You're living below your means, tracking your spending, and you're still living paycheck to paycheck and not able to save or invest any money. I think it's doing exactly that. Like it, this is a harsh reality of a podcast and a topic, right? And it may take people some time to fully comprehend the magnitude of this and the significance and the importance of this and thinking that far into your future, but it's something that needs to be done. And I think it's exactly that. Let's say in this hypothetical, you're doing everything, go figure out a way to generate extra streams of of revenue. You're living at your means here, right? You're living paycheck to paycheck, but you're, everything's being taken care of. If you need to go find more money to be able to save and then subsequently invest, go get a side hustle, right? Go find a way to make extra money. And for the people who say, no, I don't have the time. I don't, you know, in this hypothetical saying, no, I, you know, I can't do it. It's not feasible. I have, you know, kids, I have a family, right? Or, or whatever it is, right? Think about them. Dude, like, again, I, I'm trying to debunk this as, as best as possible. Dude, you've got single moms who work three to four freaking jobs with multiple kids and her who are fucking rock stars, dude. Yeah. Right? Like, if those people can go out and do it and they're raising a family on their own and making ends meet by generating revenue from three, four, five different sources, get off your lazy ass and go get a fucking job, dude, that can bring in that extra cash and generate that savings and investing for you. That's the harsh reality, bro. Like, yeah, that's it. Well, and I want to tag on to what we've talked about in the past. And I think you were the one who really brought this up and, and hit it home. And that is, if right now you're at a job and you're not happy with what you're making, don't use that to be a reason to be upset or resentful against Mm. your job. Learn to be the very, very, very best at what you're doing. And in your spare time, learn what needs to be learned to elevate your pay. 
if you're working at McDonald's and you're flipping hamburgers and you're making $16 an hour and you're upset about that, well, one, take great pride in what you do and become excellent at it. And two, learn what the next step is to be the manager of that freaking McDonald's, right? And once you have management experience, you can leave McDonald's and go to a different place, right? There is an abundance of opportunity in America right now. And the juxtaposing the difficulty that we have with the benefit that every single other person has the same difficulty. Mm -hmm. If you want to have that retirement or you want to have financial success, you have to outwork the other people and you have to be smarter than them. And at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to hear this podcast and it's going to take two or three years for this to really hit home and change their lifestyle. But there's going to be a lot of people who don't know anything about this and are going to continue to live life the way they are right now. And if you can put yourself in the top 10% of hard workers or smart workers, because mm. not every hard worker mm. is actually working that many hours, you're going to set yourself up for success. I mean, you don't have to outswim the shark. You have to outswim the other people, right? And so you brought this up in the context, in the context of picking up a side hustle in order to compensate for additional income. Do the same in your own job and look for other ways to make more money. And I think you already hit that home pretty well. Yeah, I think it all falls falls down to, you know, the phrase you used, right? It all comes down to breaking out of that victim mindset and that victim shell. Because really, that's where all of this stems from, right? The I yeah. can't, the no's, the, you know, the negative, negative, negative. It all, it all comes down and stems to a victim mindset, right? And we, yeah. you can listen to this all day on repeat and, and hear us trying to hammer in this message day after day. But the only person who can really decide to make that change, if you if you are even self-aware enough to realize you are in a victim mindset, is you. Yeah. It, you've got to freaking dig yourself out of the trenches, dude. And, and stuff like this and topics like this helps. But at the end of the day, you are responsible for, for pulling yourself out. You, you've got to do it, yeah. right? So I, well, that's it at the end of the day. I'm going to add to that that victim mindset plays a big part, but you may also just have a fear of failing. Like what if I try and I work really hard and then I still don't get it? Well, the good news is failure is the default at this point. So you can either yeah. walk away knowing that you gave it your best and gave your family and your kids that you're saying are holding you back from getting extra income, you can at least look in the mirror and say, I did everything I could to help them and benefit their future because our kids are going to be way worse off than us. Then otherwise you can look in the mirror and say, well, you know, dad just saw this coming. He knew that this was what was going to happen. And he just accepted that, you know what? I can't change it. And I just sat on my ass and let this happen. Yeah. And I know for me personally, as somebody who constantly holds myself to performance metrics, and that's my personality, that at the end of the day, regardless if I win or fail, if I know that I did everything in my power to get myself out of whatever rut I'm in, I will feel better even if I still fail. And so you, at this point, you can't just hope that things change, you know? And especially our demographic doesn't vote. So it's like <laughs> you're not doing anything when it comes to trying to redirect where the economy or the, the political sphere is going. And we're not a political podcast. But at the end of the day, we are a podcast that really promotes being super personally responsible for your situation and understanding that there are things outside of your control 
but you're going to control everything within your grasp, right? Yeah. Everything you said, it, it flipped a light switch for me. And I'll repeat the analogy that I heard um, recently was, and it's a fitness analogy. It's really hard to be overweight and fat, right? Yeah. It's really hard to be fit. Choose your hard. Yeah. <laughs> Choose I mean, your hard. Being right? overweight is a struggle. I mean, it's easy to not work out, but it's hard when you're overweight to deal with transportation, to deal with heat, to deal with movement, to deal with a lot of stuff. You limit yourself. And so why not make it difficult on yourself and work out hard, eat right, which is hard, stay consistent, which is hard, but free up all those other limits that then you have released from yourself. Yeah. And switching that to, again, to make it absolutely crystal clear, taking that and putting it into the scenarios we're talking about, you know, it's extremely hard to save and invest and buy rental properties and invest in your future, right? To take care of yourself and your future family. It's also really, really hard living paycheck to paycheck, right? It's really hard not being able to save or not being able to go out and do something and, you know, find these extra streams of income, right? And not have any resemblance of hope that you're going to have an end. Choose your heart. <laughs> Let's Choose jump your in. Heart. Because we're a real estate podcast, we're going to focus on some real estate metrics. Yeah. We didn't have time to pull up every different metric, yeah. but we're going to talk about Fresno County yeah. and we're going to talk about real estate. Let's do it. So that all these people that listen to our podcast understand that what we saw modeled when we were growing up is no longer feasible. And here's why. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to hit that, uh, current income, uh, before we switch over? Oh we yeah. Before we switch over to the home prices, just some extra stats for you guys coming from, uh, the census, which again, we'll share the, these links and these sources in the description for you guys. So you can check them out. But the median household income in the United States from 2017 to 2021 in 2021 inflation numbers. And to clarify, this is household, meaning dual income. Yep, dual income was $69,021. So right off the bat, families are making less than what the individual was making in the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. I had a, an interesting stat brought up to me or a thought process. Women weren't working in the 30s the way they are now. So with an increase of supply of labor, the demand for labor goes down. So the wages go down. But on top of that, hit them with what the per capita income is. So per capita income in the United States from the same time period, 2017 to 2021, again, in 2021 inflation numbers was $37,638 or less than 40% of the 1933 average income. So right now, if you're sitting there and you're curious on what average people are making in the US because you're not sure how you fare up, that's the most recent numbers that the Census Bureau has released. So if you're making more than thirty-seven dollars or $38,000 a year, you're making more than the average worker. Now we're in California, so we could have probably pulled what the California average income is. Yeah. But that's point. very skewed because Fresno County is extremely different than Silicon Valley of course. and uh, LA, which would drastically skew the numbers. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the home prices. Yep. And this goes right back to the boomers meme. Mm -hmm. So this is actually going to be the forgotten generation, um, Gen X. These are the buyers that bought these homes. Yep. So 
in January of 1990 was when the California Association of Realtors first started tracking uh, home prices by county. And so in January of 1990, the average home price in Fresno County was $82,000. Uh, at that time in Fresno County, according to the Census Bureau, the average income per person was about $14,500. The average family was paying or was making essentially $30,000. So you buy a house for $82,000. If you had no debt, no other expenses, no food, no travel, nothing, you had a zero balance for your annual budget, which is unrealistic, but it's the only way we can even the playing field. Yeah. It would take you 4.7 years to pay off your home. So the home price was 4.7 times more than the average income. Now, we decided before jumping to today's numbers, it was important to show what right before COVID looked like. Yeah. So, And what a crazy jump just a few years made compared to uh, the 30-year jump from 1990 to 2020. And we all know that our incomes have not jumped by the same percentage. <laughs> Absolutely so not. We're trying to help give you guys some context that... In February of 2020, which is the month before COVID, yep. the average home price in Fresno County was just shy, $50 shy of $290,000. So that would be in the same income earning 7.7 years of income for the home price. So right there, you've almost, I mean, you've gone up by almost 40%. So from 1990 to 2020, it became three years longer to pay yeah. off your house. And going back to what you said, right? If if salaries and what people are were making were staying or or um I don't know what the right word growing at the same growing rate. at the same rate that housing prices were, we would have seen four point seven. Right. right. About the same five years about the same five years um ratio. But the ratio grew by an additional three years. And again, that's showing that, that that your income is not going up at the same speed that real estate is. And then hit oh them with what gosh. the current numbers are because this is what get really ridiculous. So only three years later. Only three years later in May of 2023, the average home price is now $420,000 in Fresno County. In three years, we made a jump from 290 to 420. And... The years of income to housing, right? In 2020, we were at 7.7, which was a growth of three years from way back in 1990. In 2023, 11.1 years. So it's an additional three and a half more years in just three years. In just three years. And this is why it's interesting to me because all the people who in 2020 waited to buy because they said, oh, it's a bubble, it's a bubble, it's a bubble. It's going to crash. They screwed themselves so royally that now you're paying this 420000 price for the same house that was selling for two ninety three years ago. Our generation, and let me clarify, our age demographic, mm -hmm. we went from 19 to 22, 20 to 23, 21 to 24, right? you typically can't buy a home at that age because you don't have the work experience with the amount of people yeah. going to college. Yeah. So I'm not blaming the young 20-year-olds, but the 20-year-olds who are now almost 30 or in their early 30s and didn't buy a house, this should be a wake-up call to you that, that you made a mistake and that if you, didn't, if you don't correct course 
this is not the same level of trajectory that we're going to continue to experience, but with inflation the way it is and the way that we're still seeing homes going up in price, and we're seeing huge institutions like BlackRock still buying at huge levels, this gap is going to continue to grow much faster because wages are now becoming depressed. How many people do you know this year had an income boost less than the annual inflation rate? Mm -hmm. I know at least 50% of people who told me, oh, I got a X amount you know, pay increase this year. Yeah. Well, that's great. You got 5%, but the annual was seven. So, <laughs> so you lost you 2%. You still lost 2%. <laughs> and I think this is where being personally educated on, on what financials look like is important because yeah. you wouldn't realize if you were our age and you weren't in real estate, you would assume that when your parents bought that beautiful 2,500 square foot home when they were in their early 20s, you would think that they must have just been doing everything right. And it's not true. It's You're in a different economy. You're in a different world. And so, again, our podcast is not to discourage you or to make you feel like you should be a victim. It's to call to your attention what barriers you need to break to be successful. And if this podcast sets you in a bad mood and sets you down a spiral that you're not going to try hard, that's on you. Because there are going to be people who hear this podcast who are going to call us this week and are going to say, what do I have to do to start investing? And they're going to come in and we're going to walk them through how to set up their financials. We're going to talk to them over the next three to five years. And in three to five years, they're going to be five times more wealthy than they were today. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, the way I think of and, and cap off all of that is, you know, we, it, You've probably heard similar phrases before in some kind of context, but the best time to start investing in real estate was three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right? The best time to start investing in real estate was in the past, right? The second or the next best time to start is now. Right. So people who are listening or watching, take freaking action, dude. We are here as we've always been as a resource to share, you know, the little bit of what we've learned and gone through to start that investing journey, right? But the next best time is now. Don't yeah. let another year, two years, five years, God forbid, 10 years go by just sitting on this stuff without taking action, dude. It will only get harder. You may be making more money. You may be a little bit more experienced, but so is everybody else around you. And so the people that will succeed in the next 50, 60 years are the people who start today and maintain experience and maintain effort and maintain uh, financial responsibility. Because just like everything else, it has an exponential return. Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, I'll only be 10 years behind. You'll be 100 years behind. Because those people that spent the last 10 years getting better at their craft, having side hustles, investing and saving, their exponential return will put them way beyond what you could ever catch up to. And there are people ahead of us, just like what we're saying, the boomers are the perfect example. We will never catch the boomers as a generation, but that's their benefit. They had other struggles. Our goal now, is to compete with each other and to do everything that we can to make it better for our kids and to 
make it the best experience we can. And the other part is don't keep up with the John, uh, the Joneses. Mm -hmm. If you're seeing people your age who are in your sphere and they're going on lavish vacations and they're buying lavish cars and they're living outside of their means, the hardest part is humbling yourself and saying, that's great for them. I'm going to go my own path and I'm going to run my own race. And when I get to the finish line, we'll see who's in first because it's the turtle and the hare. Mm -hmm. If you constantly spend at your limit, you'll never have the retirement that the person who sits and saves and invests smartly and works hard will ever have. These small changes, these small incremental changes you can start doing now may not seem very significant, right? But like you were saying, it it's a compounding effect. It's the snowball, right? These small changes and tweaks, not only in your mindset, but with your actions that you start with now, that thing's going to be a, a compound effect. And by the time you are in retirement or close, just even think 10 years from now, right? The, the spot you will be in 10 years from now, from all of the compounding you know, benefit of these small tweaks and changes that you're making, it's going to be, exp like you said, exponential. Well, and I bet we could get we could have got like a, a financial investor on this podcast, like a financial advisor. Yeah, because I'm curious on what that looks like. If you're making a hundred thousand a year and you're tucking away ten thousand dollars a year to invest, after ten years, you don't have a hundred thousand dollars. My expectation is you're going to have closer to three hundred thousand dollars. And when you go from ten years to twenty years, you're going to have a million dollars. And when you go from twenty years to thirty years, you're going to have two and a half million dollars. Because at the end of the day, I think it doubles every seven years. Is that the number? I don't know. At current, so at current I think it's, average, uh, I think it's seven percent for the market. Yeah. So you know, you have to continue to remind yourself that the small changes you make now will make huge payoffs in the future. And again, Kate and I don't know what the future looks like. This could all flop. But would you rather be the person who sat back and let this happen to you, or would you rather be the person who gave yourself a shot? Would you rather be the person <laughs> in retirement sitting pretty with a couple rental properties and houses, even if it's two, three, four houses? That's right? life-changing. It's life-changing. It's freaking life-changing, dude. I think um, it may have been in Michael Zuber's book, One Rental at a Time, or I may have seen it somewhere else too, but it's literally like get to four houses. Get to four houses right and you hear all these people uh, or at least in our space right who have got all these massive amount of doors right and that may be your goal right and it's great to sh aim for the stars and shoot for the stars but if you end up with four four rental properties can be freaking life changing for you and you set yourself up in a spot to be in a way better position than a lot of other people will be here in the next you know 10 20 30 years especially as you approach retirement age and towards the end of your life. Imagine the people who are buying homes in the 1990s. I mean, you and I buy property from old landlords mm -hmm. and it is every single time they bought it for like $40,000 in 1987. And now they're selling a house that's trashed for $150,000 and they didn't touch it for 50 years. <laughs> if you just put that money away, and you accept the fact that you're going to have to work a little harder than you were before. When they go to sell that, 
every single time I ask them, what are you doing with the money? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't really have a financial need because they've invested well and they've lived within their means. Mm -hmm. And they never show up in a Beamer. They never show up in a Mercedes. No. These guys always show up in like a, like a 2005, uh, I don't know, Subaru or something, right? And guess what? They've embodied what it feels like to live within their means and to invest well. And even in their 70s, they're saying, you know what? This is what I have. I don't need the money. And that's because they invested well. Mm -hmm. And the people that we see who are, are young who are selling these homes, they're always driving a super nice car and they have the newest iPhone and they're like talking about these lavish vacations and they're selling their home for less than what they paid for it, right? And so just embody what this message is today and I promise you, you will be better off. This is a good reminder for Cade and I. We don't claim to be financial gurus, gurus. Or, or overly <laughs> successful, but it helps when you have people around you who talk about this stuff. And so if you've heard this podcast and you have questions about implementation, I'll reiterate, we are here to help and we don't know everything, but we do know a lot of the basic steps. And if we can get you past step one, we'll introduce you to who's getting us to step two. Yeah. And that person will introduce you to step three. And at that point, you've got that snowball effect. Dude, I think this was probably one of the best podcasts that, that we've recorded. Yeah. I, and one of my favorite, I think literally out of the 100 plus episodes. I think this is going to be when we look back 100 episodes from now. And like you said, you know, when we get phone calls and texts from the people who listen to this within the next week, right? I think the message in here is so freaking clear, dude. And I think we you just for the people who are listening and watching, you've got to you've just got to really listen, right? Don't let it go one in one ear and out the other take this information. And like Scott said, we are here to be, you know, the little resource and, and share the little bit of stuff that we've learned along the way. Yeah. I hope Dude. that we look back in 20 years because the internet is a great archive. <laughs> I hope in 20 years we look back and say, I'm glad I listened to the 25 year old self. And if I didn't, and I'm in the slums, I'm going to look back on this episode and say, I should have taken my own damn advice. <laughs> exactly. Well, guys, exactly. thanks for tuning into the podcast. We are super grateful for all the follows, the listens, and the calls. If you need any help, give us a call. We'll be back here next week. And uh, we've got a couple cool podcasts coming up. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you guys for tuning in. 